Hi, baby family and friends. Welcome back to Weekend Wednesdays, the podcast that brings the weekend worship into your midweek. My name is Minsu Kang, and I'm your host for this week's episode. We have reached the moment in the book of Esther, the climax of our story, the destruction of Haman. But before we jump into the episode, I wanted to plug Bayview Glen's upcoming discovery course that's scheduled for June 4th, 2023. The discovery course is an integral step in getting connected with the Bayview Glen family, hearing about our history, values, and vision, and how you can get plugged into the church in deeper ways. Sign up today at bayviewglen.org slash discovery course. And now, onto the episode. Let's summarize what has happened to our friend Haman in chapter 6. Haman just came back from parading his enemy, Mordecai, around the city on the king's horse. In an ironic turn of events, Haman was the event planner for Mordecai's honoring event, not his own. His plans to destroy his enemy are thwarted. Running home, Haman felt embarrassed and annoyed by the entire situation. In seeing his circumstances, Haman's wife and friends say that his downfall and ruin are a sure thing. And they also state that since Mordecai was of Jewish origin, Haman would not be able to stand against him. They saw something divine at play. There was something different about the God of the Jews. It was in this flustered state that Haman was scooped up by the king's eunuchs and rushed to Esther's second party. Despite his confusion, I'm sure Haman felt a little bit in high spirits because he was attending an exclusive party with the king and queen. At least he had that to look forward to. But as we will see, those feelings didn't last long. Chapter 7 begins with Xerxes asking Esther again to bring her request to him. What is your petition? he asks. Maybe it was hyperbole, but Xerxes was willing to give Esther up to half his kingdom. She had won the king's favor. She had his attention. Speak up, Esther. What is she going to say? Esther begins by asking Xerxes first to grant me my life. Huh? What an odd request. Xerxes probably had a look of confusion on his face. Was Esther's life in danger? What is she talking about? I'm sure that Haman had a confused look on his face too, because remember, Haman had no idea that Esther was of Jewish origin. And then, with much courage, Esther also requests for the king to spare my people, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. You could probably hear a pin drop in that room and a deep gulp from Haman. I'm sure he's making all the connections in his mind and thinking, oh no. We can't say the same for Xerxes though. He goes on and asks Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Who dares to threaten the queen's life? Let's pause here for one second. Xerxes and Haman have just found out that Esther is of Jewish heritage. This is the people group that are despised by the Persian Empire and who are set to be destroyed. Xerxes could have allowed his prejudice to overshadow his favor towards Esther and have her annihilated right then and there. Yet, by the hand of God, the complete opposite happens. Okay. Unpause. Who is he? Where is he? The man who dared to do such a thing. 
Esther's eyes shift towards Haman, and with her index finger pointed to him, she declares, An adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Everything has now come into the light. Unknowingly, the king was manipulated to approve of Haman's plan to destroy all the Jews, including Mordecai. Haman did not know that his evil plan had further-reaching consequences. He was plotting the death of the queen. The king would not stand for it. In a hot rage, Xerxes leaves Haman, who is now begging for his life from Esther. He knows what is about to happen to him. When Xerxes returns, he sees Haman falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. He was probably begging for his life in an undignified way. This makes Xerxes even angrier. Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? He is furious. After these words leave Xerxes' mouth, Haman's face is covered before his execution. Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, informs Xerxes that a pole was set up by Haman's house, one that was intended to impale Mordecai on. The Mordecai? The Mordecai that saved the king's life? The Mordecai that holds the king's honor and favor? Again, in a great ironic reversal, Xerxes orders that Haman be impaled on the very pole that was set up for Mordecai. The villain of our story was destroyed by the trap that he set for himself. As I mentioned in last week's episode, chapter 6 is where our story took a drastic turn. This is where God began to bring about his will through the major and minor events of Esther, Mordecai, Xerxes, and Haman's lives. The honoring of Mordecai was the beginning of the end for Haman, and now in chapter 7, Esther was in the right place at the right time to destroy the enemy of God's people. God wasted nothing in bringing about his will in Esther's story. Even keeping her Jewish origins a secret was used in God's plans. Despite God not being mentioned once in the book of Esther, you can clearly see that his heart was bent in favor of Esther and Mordecai. Unfavorable things may have been done to them, but in the end, those events were redeemed. God's eyes were and still are on his children. Even Haman's wife and friends in chapter 6 clearly saw and declared that God was for the Jewish people and that his will could not be stopped. Haman's death reminded me of Psalm 7, verses 14 to 16. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. Like a lioness with her cubs, God protects his children from evil with a ferocious love. Haman's life is a clear example of what it looks like to be an enemy of God. You don't want to be his enemy. Haman's death, though unfortunate, displays the fingerprints of God. The Lord is the true refuge that we hide under to protect us from evil. God's intentions towards his children are always good, righteous, and perfect. Intentions are an interesting thing. Because they're not visible, it's sometimes difficult to know how others, or even God, feels about us. 
Intentions can be assumed, but that can have negative effects on us in the long run. When you think about God's intentions towards you, do you believe that He is for you or against you? Do you feel He is bent towards your goodness or harm? In my earlier Christian life, I felt like God's intentions towards me were evil and harmful. It felt like He always took away the things that made me happy and barely gave me any joy in return. Because no one can last in their Christian walk with that sort of theology, I knew that I had to wrestle with questions related to God's character, His ways, and His intentions towards me. I had an amazing pastor during my university years. He really had a way with words and brought to life the Word of God. One of the messages that I remember him preaching on was on the goodness of God. He profoundly said, and I'm paraphrasing, if you do not believe God is good, like, If that's not your baseline foundation, life will be very difficult for you. And why is that the case? Because we never get everything we want. And if that's the case, what does that say about God? When we believe that God is not good from the start, we will interpret our lives in an insecure way. Life and our happiness within it would be purely circumstantial. God might be good when life is going our way, but if life doesn't go our way, we have confirmed what we believed all along. God is not good. Because of this, we keep God at arm's length. And as such, we try hard to make goodness happen for ourselves. But if we start with the belief that God is good, our lives are not swayed or determined by our circumstances. Come what may, we are able to hold onto the hope that everything in the end will work out for our good. Even sin ultimately serves the will of God. And this is not a pie-in-the-sky way to approach life. There may be times that things don't go our way, and it pains us, but that pain doesn't ultimately have the final say. Our story isn't over yet. God still remains good and perfect. Harking back to chapter 4 of Esther, I saw in Mordecai's words a man who trusted in the goodness of God. He knew that God was for him. Remember when he said to Esther, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place? Despite life not working to Mordecai's plans, he trusted in the goodness of God. He knew that however things turned out, It would be for his good and the good of his people. Flash forward to our story in chapter 7. Haman is destroyed, Mordecai is honored by Xerxes, and the king's favor of Esther allowed her to intercede for the Jewish people. Praise God for his goodness. Praise God that he's working behind the scenes this entire time. Praise God that he knows what he is doing, and because of that, he can be trusted. Even though Mordecai didn't write Psalms 30, I believe he would confidently believe that its words are true of his life. I can say the same for mine. My prayer is that it would be true also for you. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing of your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. 
What do you believe God's intentions are toward you? Do you believe God is good? This week, I would like to encourage you to sit with the Lord, allowing Him to reveal to you what His heart, what His intentions are toward you. As you do, I leave you with two questions. The first, when you picture the face of God looking at you, what is the facial expression that you see over His face? How do you think He sees you? This facial expression can be a clue into your internal beliefs about God. And number two, if you don't get everything you want in life, or if your life doesn't pan out the way you wanted, is God still good? Is He still worthy of your worship? If your answer is yes, praise God for that revelation. That understanding is not something we humans can just think up in our hearts and believe. It is a fingerprint of God. If your answer is no, there's no judgment here. What I would deeply encourage you to do is question not only how you see the character of God, but the reasons why you are following Him in the first place. My prayer is that above everything else, He would be your treasure. In this climactic moment in the book of Esther, I hope that you are able to see that God's eyes of favor are upon His children. He was working all things for the good of Mordecai and Esther. He is working all things for our good. His intentions towards us are good. And on the flip side, through the life of Haman, it is a scary thing to be an enemy of God. He is against those who are intent on harming his children. Even though the villain of our story is dead, don't cue the end credits just yet. There's still more to Esther's story and more fingerprints of God to be seen. I'm excited to explore that in next week's episode. All right, baby community, that's it for me. Thank you for taking the time in your week to tune in. I pray that you are impacted as we engage in worship throughout the week, and I look forward to diving even deeper into what God is doing with you all. See you next week on Weekend Wednesday.